With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. In the Emerald Isle, something unexplainable is happening. Tonight, prepare to witness the most frightening event in horror podcast history. A journey into the depths of horror history. First Class Horror presents The Class Horror Cast. Evil wears many masks, but pure horror wears only one. Support First Class Horror on Patreon for as little as $1. Can't get enough of the horror? Carve yourself a deal from official merchandise only on Teespring. Join us on all social media at First Class Horror. We have such sights to show you. Born in the wilderness of Maine and raised in the deep south of Florida, Ryan Spindella originally started his journey being terrified of horror movies right up until he became a teen. From there he developed a huge love for the genre and wanted to work in the industry. Fast forward to 2021 and Ryan has released his first horror hit with the Mortuary Collection, due on Blu-ray April 20th. He has also worked on movies such as It Follows. And he's also released an amazing documentary called We Come In Pieces. Currently he is working hard on writing new material. We talked about everything from his process of writing and directing, to advice for creatives and even Instagram fame. Ryan is extremely talented and an intelligent filmmaker with a flair for horror. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. The Mortuary Collection releases on Blu-ray April 20th, 2021. Um, do you have any, um, I don't want to call them guilty pleasure, but like, do you have any of those comfort movies that maybe um, aren't seen as like a great movie, but you just can't help yourself but go back to it over and over again? That's a good question. I, I know I do. Like um, I have things like Urban Legend and stuff, some of those like slasher movies that like I didn't think I would be super into that I'm like, I find I like put them on as someone. Uh, what did someone say to me? They use them as wallpaper when they're writing or studying or something like that. They'll just like to have these movies. They'll just put on. I, I, I mean, I do do that, but those are great movies. Um, <laughs> because, well, because when I'm writing, like, like, uh, I'm doing a script right now that is, um, 
like a, highly inspired by Poltergeist, which is one of my favorite movies nice. of all time. So I'll put Poltergeist or I'll put another Spielberg movie on silent in the corner of my desktop mm-hmm. while I'm working just because I love his shot design. And I love just like, I sometimes I'll look over and just be inspired by sort of the things that he, he does. So, or Jaws is another one that I watch all the time. Um, I don't know. You know, it's funny. I don't think I have, I'm part of a bad movie night where it's like a, uh, a, a guilty pressure every time, I guess, mm-hmm. or, or just a terrible movie, but I don't think I have, um, I try to spend my time watching, uh, watching the best movies I can because what, what happened to me is there was a period of time, you know, when I wasn't working a lot and, um, I was loving horror and I was watching everything that yeah. would come out in horror um, thank God Amazon Prime didn't exist at that time because I would have just lost my mind. Um, but I was like Netflixing like three movies at a time and I was just watching everything. And I remember watching this one movie and I watched about 15 minutes of it and I just turned it off. I was like, I think these some of these movies are making me a worse filmmaker. And so I just decided to like stop watching bad horror. Um, and that's hard because most horror is bad. So it's it really cut a lot of my entertainment stuff off. But um but now if I watch movies, I, I watch my favorite movies uh, because uh, I don't have time to watch. I don't have time for guilty pleasures. But like my like The Frighteners is a movie that yeah. like, I think I don't know if that's a movie that's talked about a lot. I, I love that movie. I definitely watch it at least once or twice a year. And I watch like the long version that's like 37 mm-hmm. hours long. Um, and I guess I could consider that a guilty pleasure and that I just, I, I never get tired of that movie and, and what it does. Yeah, I definitely, I, I definitely feel that. And just when you mentioned Amazon and stuff there, I think I, I kind of went down a similar route in a way because I guess, look, you get busier in life and things take over and then I kind of want to try and condense things that like I, at one point I, I was watching basically everything and it got to the point where I think right now I was just looking. So Amazon Prime, at least over here, I'm, I know it's a little bit different between here and the States, currently has 1,220 horror movies in its... Yeah. And it's like, yeah, I, I do definitely get what you're saying. And I had gotten to the point where it was like, what is my watch list anymore? What I don't even know what's going on anymore. And then I felt like I was kind of... I had kind of gotten into maybe uh, watching bad movies was like a thing. I, was, I didn't see yeah. any, like people would say like, oh, dude, have you checked out this movie? And I'm like, no, I've been watching like Leprechaun, you know, goes grocery shopping part seven. <laughs> I'm not yeah. really sure. Yeah. And I would miss I all mean, those I, big movies. I, I slip into that. I remember when I was like making the mortuary collection and I would like search for horror anthologies. And if you want to find some absolutely terrible movies, uh, search horror anthology movies. Uh, it's, it's a bummer because I hate the idea that someone would search horror anthology, find something like uh, the snowman chronicles three or something, and then like decide that that's what a horror anthology yeah. can be. I mean, that, that's the problem is the, the sub genre itself is like overcrowded with, um, bad films and especially like there's been some good ones, but like the, the new trend of, of finding a bunch of horror shorts and then compiling them together into a two hour runtime and then selling that as a feature. Um, I almost wish that had, or feel like that should have a different name because I, I think it's like, 
that's really watering down what I think a great horror anthology can be. I think a great horror anthology could be like VHS where it's a bunch of like cool filmmakers coming together to like work on a project. But, um, but I think these aggregate films are, are, are watering it down. And, oh man, there's just so many on Amazon. I still sometimes like on a Saturday morning, I'll like watch like 20 minutes of one, but like, I can't commit, I can't commit the whole, the whole runtime. Yeah. There, there are so many times that's happened to me as well, where, like I found some some movies I was actually surprised by. Uh, I found one recently on Amazon, um, the Clove Hitch Killer, I think it was called. Um, I've heard of that. Yeah. yeah, that that was quite good, and it was one of those things where I just randomly was like, okay, I'm gonna watch this thing. Um, but like, yeah, you're right. There's so many things there that it's like, it got to the point where I was like, I actually waste so much time on things that are just pure. Like it's not even so bad. It's good. It's just bad. It's just all bad. <laughs> That's the see. That's the weird, the weird dilemma of the, the being stuck in a pandemic for me as a writer has been that when everybody is home all the time, the pressure to be generating a lot of great material feels heightened. Mm-hmm. So we're we're could be a gift. Like, oh, this is a chance to write a bunch of great content, and when the things open up again, you can like launch out into the world. And it is to some degree. And also, I also had this anxiety about how yeah. I'm spending the time. And if I'm not being as productive as possible, like something's wrong with me. And so that's like really cut into my, uh, my viewing habits. And so I basically like, I'll have to schedule time to watch movies. And then when I do schedule the time, I, I try to watch basically anything that's new and, and seems promising in the horror in the horror space, especially because, you know, as a filmmaker who just made a feature and, the plan was to play a bunch of festivals and I wanted to meet other filmmakers again. Kind of, it's like you make a film, you're in a hole for like years. And so when you finish the film, you want to crawl out of the hole and the yeah. idea of going to festivals and seeing with an audience and meeting other filmmakers is like the re- only reward you get. Um, because it's not financial. I can tell you that much. So we had this whole festival thing and it all went away. And so now I'm sitting at home, my desk all day, every day. And so I've been trying to watch other films and reach out and connect with other filmmakers and try to, sort of save some sort of semblance of, uh, of when a festival would have been, uh, in the perfect world. Um, and that's, that's where I spend most of my viewing time, I think. Yeah, that, that, that definitely makes sense. And I think it's something that maybe got overlooked as well from, from the audience perspective, the struggles on the other side of the screen. Um, so what's something like, how do you cope with that? I guess the anxiety to, perform in a sense to constantly come up with something that you know you might think can can make it into a movie or a tv show or whatever it might be because a lot of people message me and on discord and stuff i get a lot of messages from people when i name the guests and time and time again i get this question of and i guess it's more general like some people will say like you know what advice did i have if i want to be a writer what advice for a director Mm -hmm. but i think a Mm -hmm. lot of times it just comes from uh, just like a general advice, like how how do I cope with maybe imposter syndrome or just the anxiety about um, am I good enough? Should I do this? Is anybody going to listen? Am I going to look dumb? Do you have any, yeah. do you have any tips for or just any advice that you could give for something like that? I mean, I'll say this: if you don't have imposter syndrome. Um, and by that, I mean the feeling that you're, uh, you're not good enough and you're fooling and you're fooling people. If you don't have that feeling, I don't think you have 
that tests. Um, so for anyone out there who's listening and who's full of self-doubt and no matter where they're in their career, that feeling of self-doubt is your inner critic. Um, that can be a real bastard, but is also the, the part of you that forces you to get better and to grow as a filmmaker and a creative. And that is essential, uh, for anybody I think who wants to make it in any of the creative, uh, industries and, and maybe, maybe in any industry. Um, I can't really speak to that. So I think that that self-doubt is important um, because what you don't want to do is find a comfort zone and rest in it because in an mm-hmm. in a industry that's as competitive as, as any of the arts, um, you have to always be pushing forward and, and, and changing and evolving with the times and, and getting better and making stuff. Um, so I, I think it, the, I guess the first thing to know is just that Everybody who's working from you know the, the most successful director in the world to the, the least successful are, are feeling those same feelings, and, and those are important. Um, but I think dealing – I mean the hard part right now is that the industry is changing, and a lot of content's being made, and it's being made by all these different places. And in the perfect world, a creative would sort of – figure out what it is they love and focus on a project and make it the best they could be and put it out to the world and get a thumbs up or a thumbs down and do it again. But what happens in the, in the current state of things is that you never know what's going to happen next. So you're always working on like 10 different projects. And so you have your sort of time spent about these, it's like spinning 10 plates and you're yeah. constantly like, Oh, I forgot about this plate. And you're like going to like spin this one some more. And you, you start to feel at times like you're just spinning a bunch of plates, but none of them are, go, are going anywhere. Um, and so that's the challenge is like trying to figure out, okay, what's the thing that I need to sort of put most of my energy into? And, and what are the plates I'm spinning that are, are, are stupid that I shouldn't be spinning right now because I need to sort of focus my energy? And, and I think some of the most like successful people in the industry are the ones that can spin a million different plates. Um, but I find that those people can rarely like execute because they're, they're, they're better at this plate spinning than they are about the actual like creation. Um, so that's been a big thing with, for me with this pandemic is like, you know, if I have a a writing gig that is paying me, then that, that clearly gets all of my attention because I need to survive. Um, but when I get into a phase, um, like I am right now, where I have like six different things that are sort of at various stages, um, it's all about sort of organizing my time and then and figuring out where to put most of myself to, mm-hmm. you know, because it feels like the thing that's going to move forward the most. And then it's funny cause you talk to filmmakers and they're like, I had five projects going. The project I was least interested in was the one that took off. And so it's, it's just, a, it's a weird, it's a weird state to be in. And I think it's like, you know, it's, it's something you have to learn to deal with because it never goes away. There is no, like, there's no level of success that you reach in which these feelings stop. They just become different and more complicated as you sort of rise up in the ranks. And it's important, I think, for, um, newer filmmakers to sort of understand that that's part of it and that they're going to have to deal with it. And if they can't really deal with that constant sense of anxiety, Mm -hmm. uh, or imposter syndrome or, or, or stress, then they should do something else because it's, it's it, from, from all that I know, it's not easy for anybody. Yeah. And, and I think, <clears throat> I think that will be refreshing for a lot of people to hear because I guess in the days of social media and stuff, and you kind of alluded to it before we see this, um, you see the version of everything that 
people want you to see. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and, and it's the, it's kind of like the one percenter thing. Like you see the guy with the Lamborghini and the, it's always sunny and he has a mansion and it's all fun and games <laughs> and there's no anxiety, there's no stress. But it's like for the most part, I think anybody and at most levels, even like you said, like even people who are considered successful, I would imagine go through some serious things and, and a lot of doubts and concerns and and maybe, uh, you know, you, you have a hit or your, your stuff starts to take off and you kind of become a bit more popular. There's, I guess, uh, maybe an anxiety to replicate that again. Yeah, yeah, because it's like I... I I, yeah, well, then now now you have more to lose the next time you you try. Now you're not just like throwing it against the wall. Yeah. Now you have to like uh, do as good, if not better, or people will think you are sort of a one hit wonder. And it, it also feels like um, the industry feels like a ladder um, where you're always there's always another rung that you need to reach. And sometimes yeah. those rungs are, are are very it's a big gap, and you never feel like, like that first feature. I never feel like I'll get that 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 mm-hmm. first feature, and then you do get it. But the thing is, is you almost never look down to see how many rungs you've climbed. You only see the next rung. So it's just, it's a very, it's kind of sad, honestly. Um, And I think it's why it's so important to try to make sure that your, the pie chart that is your life has other things other than just film. Because otherwise, if all you have is just your career and and your projects, um, I I can't imagine it's a very fulfilling existence. Yeah, I, I, um, it was something else that I had actually written down that a lot of people had asked me about. Um, I guess the, the thing of um, structuring your life maybe, or uh, a lot of times people seem to struggle with, they're so passionate about this one thing where it's like, I don't want to do anything else. I don't want to work the nine to five. I don't want to party. I don't want to do this. But then they find like that they struggle with relationships or they struggle to, you know, maybe with friends, they lose friends, their family Mm -hmm. can't understand. Is there anything uh, that can be done about that? Or is that just one of those things that comes with maybe being a dreamer in a way or being a creative um, that is a good question. I don't know. There's a lot of levels to that question. Um, ask me the question one more time. I say, so make sure I'm hearing you right. So you're just talking about like the, the general life struggles of, of, of being a creative in a world that doesn't necessarily celebrate creatives. Yeah. And maybe dealing with, um, the fact that like, like for example, like over here in Ireland, it, we're probably even more subdued about things like this than the States. The States is mm-hmm. kind of seen as like the land of opportunity here. Mm-hmm. We're still many, many years behind it. I think in the sense of, um, you know, if you don't come out with the, the usual, like I want to be um, an architect or a doctor or a lawyer, mm-hmm. you know, if someone were to say, you know, I want to be a filmmaker or I want to mm. be in radio or TV, people kind of still go, what? What are you talking about? Or like I have, I have a friend who's actually quite successful on YouTube and he managed to mm-hmm. quit his day job and stuff. And, you know, people were like, I said, what do you do? You sit at home on your mm-hmm. computer. That's a bit weird. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of people struggle with either not being able to get over that, um, you know, losing friends, maybe can't hold a relationship or how, how do you divide your time out 
kind of like what you said mm. where it doesn't become your whole life mm. it doesn't become an obsession to a point where you can't live yeah yeah no and i think like so i can only speak to the the life of, a, of being a writer director mm-hmm. or, or a filmmaker um within the the film industry um specifically la but i i don't think the film industry is probably too much different um i think i would almost prefer to be in sort of in the the film industry in a place like england or or scotland or mm-hmm. ireland than uh than here because this is just a bit of a a quagmire of people trying to all do the same thing yeah but um but i can definitely say that i think it all depends on what your intentions are if you're if you're if you want to get into film because you don't want to have a nine to five, um, that that's probably not the, the reason that that's not going to work out for you because, um, because in order to find success or at least my experience within such an insanely difficult industry, um, it has to be, I, I guess the adage is if you can imagine yourself doing anything else, um, then don't do film. If you can only imagine yourself doing film, it is the only thing you could possibly ever do. Then you have no choice and become a filmmaker. Um, and as somebody who's been doing it for 12 years now, um, I can, I can't agree with that more. I think that it's, it's, there is a lot of, uh, insane sacrifice, family, uh, friends, uh, a normal existence, like my adult friends who have own houses and have three kids Uh and, uh, have, uh, amazing Instagram lives. Um, you do sacrifice all of that stuff for this, uh, this really strange passion. Um, but that being said, if, if there's nothing else you can do, but making films, the rewards, uh, that can come from it are, are like nothing else. So it's, uh, it's like the extreme sports of, of careers, I think. Um, and, uh, and you know, I, th- it's, it's a weird in modern times because this, there's like an obsession with uh, being famous is the thing everybody wants <laughs> to, to be famous and, and not really even have a skill for being famous. It's just be famous because they think that they're really important. Uh, and man, if that is your career path or if that's your aspiration, filmmaking is a hundred percent the wrong place to go. I, I would stick to Instagram modeling or, uh, or something along those lines. Um, because it's, uh, it's, it's very unglamorous. Yeah. It's just when you mentioned that there are about people kind of maybe wanting to be famous just for the sake of it, um, Mm -hmm. about, um, it's probably two years ago now at this point, I was at a, um, I guess not a job drive, um, like a career day in a school. And it was just so weird to see like some of the kids, you know, I thought it was strange, not strange in a bad way, but it was strange to see how things had changed where like you had kids saying like, you know, I want to be um, a YouTuber. I want to be a professional gamer. And I thought those were in a way quite cool and unique because people have completely changed their lives with stuff like that. But then mm-hmm. like I, I had seen some of the girls and, you know, they were saying things like, you know, oh, I want to be Instagram famous or I want to be TikTok famous. And I'm like, what does that even mean anymore? Like, I don't even get like, it is that a skill or is that just it, it can't be it yeah. can't be sustainable i mean like i i mean even not self-admittedly not i mean i barely know what reddit is like mm-hmm. even someone who doesn't know 
much about digital platforms and social media in general, um, I can't imagine that not that just existing can be a, a thing that can can last long. I think you have to contribute something. And yeah. like YouTube is full of YouTube is one of the best places in the world, full of talented people. But everybody I follow on YouTube and everything I watch on YouTube is somebody with a skill set and, yeah. and and their work ethic and they're making amazing things or they're like speaking uh, intelligently about film and, and craft and um, that kind of stuff. Yes. Huge. If you have a skill or you're, or you're sharing something, just sharing you posing on a hill, uh, while it might be, might be fulfilling in a short run, there's no way that that, uh, ends well for you. I don't think. Yeah. Like even, even here in Ireland now, um, things like only fans and stuff like that has taken off to yeah. the point, to the point where, uh, we have like our big, um, TV station over here is called RTE and mm-hmm. they have a show like a live kind of like talk show thing and like they had a guy on he's some in I don't know what he is like an Instagram model or something he does like top topless pictures and all this other weird shit but um mm-hmm. like he he they had his portfolio or whatever you want to call it and like he's making 60 60 grand a month selling like feet pictures uh, and just like lots of down. weird Quick. stuff <laughs> and then there's a chick who um i don't think she had ever worked i think she like was living on like social welfare or something like that and she's made um three hundred and ninety thousand euros in like six weeks on OnlyFans. and i'm like again like you said like it's it's might be fine for like a cash-in at some point mm-hmm, or whatever to mm-hmm. make half a million or whatever. But then at some point you've got to transfer that into something. I don't think, cause what's going to happen when you're not 25 and. I mean, maybe you could, you could save your money and, and hire an accountant to invest your money in, in proper places and, and be great. And maybe if, if that's the way you, you, if you play it that way, I have a feeling the people who are on OnlyFans are not no that way. <laughs> no. Um, but that is it. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, essentially it's modeling, right? I mean, like every, yeah. every, even being an Instagram person, you're just, you're just a, a model. You're just looking at somebody holding products and that's, yeah. I don't, it's so bizarre. I don't even know how I got onto that topic. Yeah, <laughs> People will probably be giving me shit for that now. Um, I think I did. I think I did that. I'll take, I'll take the responsibility. I think I, I, I pushed. Uh, I am. Um, so I've only a, a couple of questions left and I appreciate you taking the time because I know you're probably mm-hmm. super bogged down with different things. <laughs> it's a good escape. I needed to stop staring at my computer screen and writing. Um, so this is kind of a just a fun question, really. And I don't know if you've ever had any thought about this, but if you could if you could get involved with any existing IP, uh, whether that be maybe rebooting it writing a new sequel or whatever, which would you pick and why? Uh, I mean, look, this is kind of going to be an obvious one and I, I, I hate that I'm so predictable, but I would go, I would reboot tales from the crypt as a series with the crypt keeper. Mm-hmm. And I would do, uh, just an epic anthology show with a real budget and amazing makeup effects and, and great stories. That would be, that's the dream. Yeah, I think I, I can nearly hear the people already when they listen to this going, "Oh my god!" If only I know, man. I'm just, I, I I just 
man, I just feel like there's such a space for that kind of content. Yeah. I mean, talk about a show that I can watch again and again and again. I, I just rewatched almost the whole every episode over the summer because my parents had them on VHS and I went home to oh, watch wow. two episodes a morning. And it was uh, it's just such a fun show. I, I'd forgotten how amazing it is. So, And I definitely feel like there's a really good way as well to bring that into modern day i know that would probably be a lot of the, the pushback from maybe executives and stuff uh, it just doesn't work now but i definitely think like you said there's a a huge space there if done right for that to come back huge huge i i, I think that yeah i think it's the kind of thing that people want more of i i i want more of that kind of humor like mm-hmm. as a uh, as a horror sorry as a fan i i remember around halloween time um, just looking for fun horror, escapist horror. Yeah. Um, that was well made, and it felt like we've there's been a shift. I think there's been a, a strange trend in horror where some really great movies like Hereditary have come out, and now everybody's trying to recreate that thing. Like like horror always is. People trying to recreate the one <laughs> successful thing. Um, and I love Hereditary. I mean, I love love Hereditary, but. I don't want every horror movie to now be a highbrow think piece, um, which hereditary isn't even. So, like, I don't know why that's it set that trend into motion. But I remember what, like surfing and just like, oh, I don't want something that's going to make me feel gross. I just want a fun popcorn movie, and ideally, it sneaks some real ideas in there under the surface. But I want something that on the surface is just enjoyable. And so I, I want that to come back more than anything. Yeah. And I definitely, the more I think about that, um, that happens way too often and sometimes kind of fucks up things because, you know, something comes out and it's a little bit of a hit or it's like a super hit. And like you said, like everybody scrambles to, uh, uh, and, and I think a lot of times as well, it probably comes from the executives and companies are like, okay, how can we make our hereditary? How can we make our whatever movie it is? And it's like, yeah, everybody's trying to do exactly that. And it's like, it's just. It, it comes from, I think, a, the, the people in power not having any understanding of the genre yeah. themselves. And they only understand what makes money. So they see that it made a bunch of money and they say, everything needs to start kids. Like without understanding what else went into making that movie a hit or you know, hereditary comes out. Everything has to be uh, an auteur director. Now. Mm-hmm. Like everything has to be through A24 and it has to be uh, a think piece. Um, and that's not the, that's not how those movies were made in the first place. Um, and it's, you know, and, that, and that's kind of where anthology movies I think are existing too. Like nobody's made that one anthology movie that has set the box office on fire and like, like made all the executives suddenly decide they love anthology movies. But um, I think someday that will happen just with the way things are going. I, I can't imagine that like we're not due for that. Yeah. At soon. some point. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay. So why horror and what does it mean to you? I, horror to me, um, you know, I, it's interesting because it just goes back to what we were talking about earlier about sort of the, the existential crisis that I had during the pandemic and, and the re kind of defining what horror mm-hmm. can mean um, to audiences. And then sort of that kind of comes back on me. So I, I, w- I would say that it is a, uh, 
for me, it's, it's, it's escapism. It's, it's, I, it's a way to, to step out of the normal, sometimes grueling world and to, uh, totally sort of live someplace else and, and feel feelings that I, that I don't feel on a regular basis. Um, not that I don't feel horror on a regular basis because I do, uh, but a different kind of horror, yeah. I guess. So it's a, it's a safe, it's a safe form of escapism that allows me to sort of, to process things. And it's interesting too, because I, I do find that people who hate horror and who, who like, Oh, I can't watch horror. It freaks me out. I have nightmares. I feel sad for those people because there's a really incredible release, um, psychological release that comes from enjoying that kind of content and sort of the safety of your home or at a theater, um, that those people are missing out on. And, and, you know, those feelings that they have, those anxieties about what horror movies will bring out in them, those, those anxieties aren't going anywhere. They're just building inside these people. Mm -hmm. Um, and they have to find some sort of outlet. So, you know, I, I think that horror functions, uh, in a lot of different ways, um, for a lot of different people. But I think, you know, those are probably the reasons that I'm drawn to it, I think, as a, as a fan. And it, it's funny that you had mentioned um, something you just said there reminded me. I, I had started to kind of introduce somebody who didn't really watch horror at any point um, to different mm -hmm. movies. And I kind of started with maybe some of the more generic, like mainstreamy movies. And we watched mm -hmm. um, My Bloody Valentine 3D recently. Mm -hmm. And it was funny because at the end I was like, well... Because I, I mean, I guess it's not a great movie and it's like hard to gauge whether someone's going to, and she was like, that was like super fun. I kind of get the, I was like, it's really bizarre that that movie don't feel, but she was like, I, I kind of get why people like this kind of weird roller coaster and like, I forgot everything that's going on. I forgot about COVID. I forgot right. about work and what's going on with my job. And it was just like this fun. I'm watching this guy with his thing and. I was like, yeah, that's, that's awesome. kind of what horror is, though, in general. I was like, and you get that in so many different, it doesn't have to be slasher. It can be anything, really. Sure. You can, and you can convert people. I've seen it done many times. It happens a lot with actors when you work with actors that don't like horror. Mm -hmm. uh, and then after they work on one, and they see how much fun they are to make. They start to yeah. investigate and kind of fall in love with the genre independently of the project, which is, um, which is really cool. And I think that, like, not to keep self-promoting the movie because I, I really am not trying to promote the movie at this point in time, but I do think that like one of the best compliments that we've gotten with the Mortuary Collection that I think always means the most to me is when I talk to somebody and they say, uh, I, I actually hate horror, but I really loved your film because that sentiment kind of speaks to the movie working as a movie and not necessarily just as like a piece of genre material, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Um, and, and I love that. And, and the idea that like somebody, maybe some kid could watch the mortuary collection and then fall in love with the horror genre. Uh, that's kind of like the ultimate dream. Yeah. And it definitely, um, for me, I have these, these movies that like I, I associate, I guess, with Halloween and the fall season and just that whole idea. Mm -hmm. And it's like, like I have kind of random movies like i always for some reason associate trick or treat with that um Ho mm -hmm. hocus pocus is another huge one for me that i always associate totally. with that time of year and again not to sound like i'm um you know i'm blowing smoke here but mortuary collection really fits into that kind of feel i feel like it can be one of those staples for like 
every year it's like you've got to pull this movie out we've got to watch this movie mm, that's awesome it's got like that, that amazing yeah it's got that feeling for sure um okay so last thing then uh i always ask people at the end so if you could give us a ryan recommended uh whether it be a horror book comic movie it can be something that you've seen years ago or something you've seen recently that you would recommend mm -hmm. people check out other than the mortuary collection which the links will be below <laughs> for um uh, i mean i would say uh i i would I, I mean not to repeat myself but i would go i would if you haven't seen the frighteners i would seek that so out and good. watch it so it is awesome. a produced by Robert Zemeckis, directed and written by uh, Fran Walsh and Peter Jackson, the team that did Lord of the Rings, uh, starring Michael J. Fox. It has all the fun of Back to the Future with the the horror of uh, Ghostbusters, and it, it's sort of it's five different movies all in one. Some people will criticize it for that. I think it's a, a it should be celebrated. Um, it's, it's a really wonderful movie and, and definitely perfect for the Halloween season or any time you want uh, some comfort food. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you taking the time. Of course, man. Thank it's, you so much for having me. This is so cool. Yeah, it's been fun to, um, to chat and stuff and maybe we'll get to do it again when you have some announcements, maybe. Yeah, man, I got another one. The next, the next one I'm making is, is very much rooted in the, the Halloween feelings oh, as nice. well. Um, it's only one movie, not five. So I hope I don't disappoint too many of my fans. But, uh. <laughs> and for everybody listening, the links for everything will be down below as always. Um, so the movie is out on Blu-ray in April, am I right? April 20th, that's right. April that's 20th, right. Yep. okay. And then right now it's streaming. Um, at least in the States. No, no, it's the States and, yeah, the States and the UK. I think it'll be available then. And then it'll also be on iTunes and maybe probably Amazon and all of that. I'm, yeah, I would imagine. I think, yeah. So, yeah, I was just going to say that I'm not sure with the regions and stuff, but generally when a movie makes any waves at all, they kind of sort that licensing thing out pretty quick and you'll find right, it releases right. everywhere. Right, right. <laughs> um, so, yeah, all the links will be down below um, for Ryan's stuff and um, we'll see you guys in the next one. Support First Class Horror on Patreon for as little as $1. Can't get enough of the horror? Carve yourself a deal from official merchandise only on Teespring. Join us on all social media at First Class Horror. We have such sights to show you.